in the book of Acts, we saw the Apostle Peter uh, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to other regions of Israel. And we come to this turning point in the early church where the gospel has been preached throughout Judea and Samaria and God establishing the churches in these other regions. And in chapter 10, we meet Cornelius, the Gentile. And Cornelius was a, a Roman company commander of the so-called Italian regiment living in the town of Caesarea. He was a God-fearer. And that meant he accepted the ethical and moral standards of the Jewish faith. Uh, but he wasn't a proselyte. He wasn't circumcised. Um, he just supported the Jewish cause and, and prayed to the God of Israel, we find out. But he was respected by the Jews. Bear in mind, he was a Roman Gentile. Um, he was never accepted. He was um, still classed as an outsider. Um, but we see God sends an angel to Cornelius, instructs him to uh, send for the Apostle Peter, who was staying close by, and Peter would tell him and his household what he must do. Peter, you'll remember from last week, he also receives a vision from God while he was staying in Joppa. And the vision, you know, it challenged Peter about, well, as a Jew, what he should consider clean and unclean. And it was really to prepare him and shake up his views and assumptions on Gentiles, who up until this point had not had the gospel preached to them. So from verse 24 to 33, we see Peter's in the house of Cornelius, this Roman Gentile, which was absolutely unheard of for any devout Jew to be in the house of a Gentile, uh, let alone preach the gospel to them. You know, even as a God-fearer, Cornelius was still classed as an outsider. Uh, but really, the point is here that Cornelius and his family and his friends were waiting with, an- with anticipation for, for what God had commanded Peter to preach to them. And this is the scene we get to in chapter 10, verse 34. So from verse 34 to 43, Peter is commanded by God. He preaches this short sermon to these Gentile hearers. And, and I'd love to spend more time on this, because as you've read tonight, it's... There's quite a lot of scripture there, but it's, it's probably the most profound account of the gospel you're going to read in the Bible. Uh, there's so much there. But as it is, we've got 30 minutes. So I'll do my best. But notes from verse 6. This is the word that Peter must share with the Gentiles, that they might be saved. So it's important we see here what constitutes the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to see over these verses. So we'll just read 34 again then. Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. In every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. So the first point is that God is impartial to save. The gospel is impartial. And Peter begins here by sharing this very personal revelation, this very honest statement. He says, in truth, I perceive. Uh, and you could say, Peter is saying, I now truly understand this to be true, that God shows no partiality. And any good Jew would know this from the law we read in Deuteronomy, that God is described as a great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality. And the first thing I want us to see here really is what God is using this whole experience to change the change he wants to bring about in Peter and especially these other six other Jewish believers in the household. Um, and there's a very, very personal work, a, a, a work of conversion that's going on in Peter's heart as he's speaking to, to, to Cornelius. So he's using this, this experience. Uh, and really, 
Peter, they're, they're challenged by this inclusion of Gentiles, you know, his orthodox mind as a, as a devout Jewish believer, you know. His whole way of thinking, really, as a Jew, was being challenged that God would deem the Gentiles worthy of the resurrection of life, as they call it in the next chapter, to have the same gospel preached to them that had been preached throughout Israel. And this statement, in truth, I perceive, it really sums up the changes that are beginning to take place in, in Peter's heart. Uh, it's, it's not that they were prejudiced. I think it's more the fact that they were mystified. They didn't understand why the gospel that had been sent to the Jews was now being preached to, to Gentiles. They didn't understand God's plan of redemption at this point. It was all a bit of a mystery to them. But obviously they, had, they did have this deep-seated prejudice towards Gentiles, which just made it even more difficult. But it starts with obedience, and Peter had responded to God's call, God's calling, and that's, that's the most important thing. Peter was here. He was where God wanted, wanted him to be. And you might have a translation that says God is not a respecter of, of persons, which is a more accurate translation. But the point is God does not discriminate like men discriminate, like we, dis- like we discriminate. Our God is just. He is a rewarder of anyone who diligently seeks him. Romans 2.10, it says, But glory, honour and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile, for there is no partiality with God. And this is the point. God does not show favouritism. Yes, Israel are the apple of God's eye by... Election and, and the word of God was sent to the Jews. It was sent to the children of Israel first, but as Peter says here, Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is the salvation of God to the ends of the earth. Therefore, we should always preach the gospel without partiality. And just like Peter, God will challenge our assumptions and any prejudice that we have as we speak to people, as he prepares us to share Jesus with people. And there's no room for partiality. There's no room for prejudice whatsoever when it comes to sharing the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is Lord of all, then the implication is that the gospel must go to all. So notice then that this Gentile believer, uh, Cornelius, he didn't have to become Jewish to enter into God's kingdom. And that's the point. His nationality, his cultural traditions were not hindrance to God in calling this man to the kingdom. You know, there's no racial or, or cultural barriers in coming to God for salvation. Only those put up by men, essentially those put up by us. You know, we are to be impartial. And God, you know, very, God is very serious about this. We're to be impartial about speaking to others about Jesus without judging, without condescension, without partiality. We, 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 we're told in, in Colossians 1.20, I don't have the verse, but uh, Jesus has made peace with every man through the blood of his cross. It's through, through the blood of Jesus that peace with God and man is possible. And Paul also makes this precise point to the church of Ephesus. He says, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. So notice before Peter gets into this gospel, this short sermon uh, to the Gentiles, he themes the gospel message with the peace and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in verse 37 we read, That word you know, Cornelius, you know this word, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. 
that word you know that was proclaimed. So notice Peter is speaking about a specific word here. Uh, a word that Cornelius would have known in part. It was a word that began from Galilee. John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of repentance um, for the remission of sins. And he was the forerunner, as we know, for Jesus to prepare people for the ministry of Jesus. Uh, but we read in Mark um, chapter 1, verse 14, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this is the word that Peter is referring to. Repent and believe in the gospel. A very simple word. So you would have been aware of the messages of John and Jesus and obviously it was a word that was accompanied by many signs and wonders and miracles. Um, For this reason it was known to, to all in that region. But Peter was to bring the full revelation of God here. And that's It's very important to mention at this point before we get too into this. Cornelius, as we read at the start of Peter's sermon, he wasn't saved. He'd responded to the light God had given him. And God was giving him more light. John spoke last week about the light God gives. The light of creation, the light of conscience. You know, different types of light that God can give. But Cornelius wasn't saved. He hadn't received the Holy Spirit. He was a God-fearer, sympathetic to the cause of Israel. Um, but his prayers, his devotions had come before the Lord, and the Lord had, his name was mentioned by this angelic messenger that was sent. You know, there was something quite, quite special about this guy. Obviously, he worked righteousness, he did good, he prayed, um, but he wasn't saved. So Cornelius, he'd received a lot of light, you know. He knew elements of God's truth, but was yet to know Jesus. And we know Jesus is the complete revelation of God's truth. And there are people who, will, you know, who we will come across that are hun- hungry for the truth. And we need to pray that God will use us to lead them to Jesus. There's a lot of people out there who are hungry for the truth. They might not know what that truth is. Maybe God has revealed a, an element of light to them. Maybe they do have a Christian upbringing or maybe they attended a, a certain type of traditional Christian church and, and, and now they've gone back into the world and just living like everyone else. But... God has given them light. God has given them a light that he wants them to respond to. And Peter is bringing the full revelation of God to Cornelius. He's bringing the full revelation of God through Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 is probably one of the most important passages you can keep at the forefront of your mind when you're sharing the gospel to someone. Remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes it says here to the Jew first and to the Gentile uh, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed and no matter how much we rehearse, no matter how much we speak to someone um, obviously our personal testimony is the most powerful things I think personally in, in sharing Jesus with people but it's the gospel it's, it's what Peter talks about here which is the power of God to, say, to save them, this is the power of God, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ And this is why Peter focuses, has God, Jesus, at the centre of everything he's about to tell Cornelius. So we see from verse 37 or 38, that word you know, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So this section of Peter's Peter's short sermon deals with the person and the work of Jesus. And firstly, Peter was an eyewitness of the life of Jesus Christ. 
He was his disciple. He was his host. He was his friend. His account was a very personal account. It was credible. It was first-hand. It was an eyewitness testimony. And these accounts, these accounts of John, of Peter, of James, these accounts of the, uh, the apostles of Jesus Christ, they are what formed part of the early church's preaching on Jesus. You know, this is why uh, the gospel went forth with such power, because these guys were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll read on a little bit later. Peter will, he'll digress this, 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 this witness where they actually ate with him. You know, they, had this, they shared this life with him you know, before his death. Uh, they, they were eyewitnesses of, his, of the person and the work. Um, Peter says in his second letter, he says, you know, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter was an eyewitness of the majesty of Jesus. And I think there he's talking about when, when Jesus was transfigured and he saw Jesus changed um, with this heavenly appearance. But yeah, they were eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus. And Peter had witnessed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And Jesus was like previous high priests of Israel. He was anointed, he was consecrated into his ministry, but he wasn't consecrated with oil. Like we hear about the high priest Aaron of Israel. He was consecrated with oil, he was consecrated with the Holy Spirit and power. He was anointed by the oil of the Holy Spirit by God himself, endued with all the necessary power for ministry. And I want us to see this emphasis of God-given authority throughout Peter's address. Verse 38, we see how God anointed, and for God was with him. Verse 40, him God raised up. Verse 41, witnesses chosen before by God. Verse 42, ordained by God. And Peter is emphasizing all the way through this gospel message the God-given authority of Jesus Christ as a saviour of men as lord of all how we started off uh, the authority that jesus had was used to do good we see to those who were oppressed by the devil peter would remember the night at his home in capernaum when jesus spent the whole night and morning laying hands on people the entire city town of capernaum emptied out at the door of simon peter and jesus laid hands on every single one who came to him casting out demons casting out devils um, such was the oppressive hold the devil had on galilee and they were literally a people who sat in the darkness of uh, this satanic hold the devil had on Israel at the time. And the person and the work of Jesus Christ was marked by, by this, by good works, primarily love and compassion for the sick, the disabled, the poor, the demon-possessed. It was a ministry confirmed by many healings and miracles. And this was all done in the presence of many eyewitnesses, Peter being one of them. You know, Jesus worked what was righteous because he was good, because he's God and God is good. He loved people and he demonstrated his authority over the devil throughout his ministry. He rebuked dark forces. He showed his power over creation, over sin, over the hold the devil had on these people because he loved them, but also because he, he demonstrated his authority was greater than that of the devil's. That was one thing um, Peter wants to emphasize here. He did all these things by the power of God. We read at the end that, that God was with him. I haven't actually got it there, but we read that God was with him. And in return, Jesus, you know, he committed all things to his heavenly father. Jesus always, he was always seeking the will of his father, submitting to that will. And the father sustained him. The father strengthened him. The father gave him a, 
endued him with all the necessary power he needed to carry out his ministry. And that just that just that little point by Peter there that God was with him, I think it just serves to remind us of that that loving relationship the father had with the son. But we see one other little detail here, and it, and it probably doesn't register at first, it didn't with me, but it's the historical identity of Jesus Christ. Peter refers to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. And we see in um, Matthew 2.23, And Jesus came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So his historical identity, and his historical identity really is the fulfilment of prophecy. And it validates his identity as the Messiah. And he does this. He, he talks about Jesus of Nazareth. And there's a few other things a little bit later on which I'll touch on. So notice in all of this that Peter feels the person and the work of Jesus is an important part of understanding the gospel message. We, we, we should know. We should know if we're sharing Christ with people. We should know about his life. We should know about his person, his work, his character. The relationship that he had with his father. The submission, the surrender Jesus had. His divine anointing and power as the Son of God. And also the fact that his ministry was predominantly about loving people. You know? And that's, that's why we share the gospel with people, because we love them. We don't do it out of some, some moral obligation or some instruction. that Yes, we, we are commanded to preach the gospel, but we do it because we love others. We do it because someone loved us enough to, t- to tell us about Jesus Christ. So he, he was motivated by love for people. For a lost world. And we see in verse 39, whom they killed, so the Jews of Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree, him God raised up the third day. So we get onto his death and, and the witness of Jesus' resurrection. And notice Peter speaks about the death of Jesus as an act of murder. That's quite intentional. Whom the, the Jews killed by hanging on a tree. And this is another important aspect of understanding the gospel. The, the Jews in cooperation with the Romans they put Jesus on trial they murdered him unjustly he was falsely accused it's a very important thing to understand he was innocent they tried to portray him as a a rebellious figure crucifying him alongside common robbers alongside thieves but in in all these things Jesus was innocent he surrendered himself to this punishment willingly and Jesus said didn't he in in John chapter 10 Verse 17, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. So Jesus had the power to lay down his life. He went to the cross willingly. And some translations replace the word tree with cross which essentially is what is understood by this phrase hanging on a tree <clears throat> referring to crucifixion but I think this is, again this is one of those details I was talking about that Peter inserts here for a reason and we see in Deuteronomy 21 if a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree for he who is hanged is accursed of God and Paul sheds a bit more light on this in Galatians 3.30. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So Peter is also making this point here that Jesus willingly became a curse of God. He willingly went to the cross and he became a curse. This is exactly what Adam was talking about this morning. 
So though he knew no sin, Jesus became the propitiation for our sin. Our sin was judged in him, and he suffered and died taking the punishment our sin deserves. God says in Isaiah, for the transgression of my people, he was stricken. So Jesus humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Because crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst. It was the most painful and humiliating way a man could possibly die. From the prophets through to Jesus himself, it was predicted that he must suffer and die in this way. That he would be lifted up, pierced, delivered to be crucified. To become accursed of God for our sake. And really, that word propitiation, it just means appeasing God's wrath. Turning away God's wrath. And it was only through the blood of a sinless sacrifice through this offering, that that wrath could be appeased. So Jesus willingly offered up his life. And him God raised up on the third day. Praise God. After three days in the tomb, after which a body would normally have started to decay, by the power of God, he was raised up. His tomb was found empty with angels sitting head and foot of where he lay. So Jesus said, didn't he, I have the power to lay down my life, I have the power to take it again. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but death could not hold Jesus, for he knew no sin. And Peter said in his earlier sermon, a bit, a bit, a bit of a longer sermon in Acts, that Jesus loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that Jesus should be held by it. And so God raised him back to life. And this other detail of Peter, he mentions uh, the third day, why is that significant? Uh, you might remember the, the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign and he spoke of the sign of the prophet Jonah. He says, for Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. So must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So again, it was a fulfillment of, of, of prophecy. And Jesus himself, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking of the, the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So Jesus spoke all of these things ahead of their fulfillment. That when it came to pass, the disciples remembered he'd said these things, believing the scriptures, that he was indeed the Messiah. So Peter's very intentional with all these details as he addresses uh, Cornelius. So verse 40. And God showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And we mentioned that the apostles were eyewitnesses of the life and death of Jesus, but most importantly, God chose his disciples to be the first to see him alive from the dead. And this is the essence of the gospel. It was noticed that it was God who orchestrated, he chose witnesses. He handpicked men and women, presumably for their faith, presumably of who they were, at the time in the, in the early church, chosen by him beforehand to bear testimony of Jesus alive from the dead. Paul says that Jesus was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, so believing men and women who God would use powerfully. And we're talking about bringing testimony to the reality of the resurrection. And you remember that Jesus appeared to all his disciples at once in a closed room. They thought they'd seen a ghost, but he showed them the crucifixion wounds. Uh, they handled him physically as proof of his resurrection from the dead. And Peter says, they ate with him. Again, uh, uh, seems like a, uh, a detail, 
something Peter just mentioned, but it's actually very important that they ate with him. They ate with the resurrected Jesus. Jesus wasn't a ghost. He didn't raise back as a spirit. He raised in the flesh. And uh, they actually had a meal with him. And, and you'll remember he actually cooked them breakfast on the shore of Galilee uh, the next morning as well. And like I said, the, the witness of the disciples was intimate. It was personal. Jesus was their friend, their, their rabboni, their teacher. And once he'd opened their eyes to the fact that he was alive from the dead, they knew beyond any doubt that he was God's anointed saviour. And everything he had told them fell into place. So all these things he'd mentioned before his death, <clears throat> once they came to pass, it, 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 it strengthened, it, it validated, if you like, the, the testimony of Jesus alive from the dead, who Jesus was. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 24 after he rose from the dead he said thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things so they were witnesses in verse 42 to 43 And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. So Jesus appeared to the disciples alive from the dead and commanded them to speak of the things they'd seen and heard. So that those who heard this truth will believe and put their faith in the authority of Jesus to save them. And what were the apostles to preach that Jesus was ordained to be the judge of the living and the dead. And this is a title given to Jesus in a number of places in the Bible. It refers to the doctrine of the judgment of all men by Jesus Christ alone. His authority as God's appointed judge over every soul. And Peter in one of his letters calls Jesus the overseer of our souls. That every man and woman will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And only Jesus... Only Jesus has the authority to reconcile sinners back to God. And God is just and the justifier of the one who puts their faith in Jesus. And we will all have to give an account to God for our life one day. But if we have put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, God will only see a redeemed and forgiven son or daughter washed pure by the blood of his son. And Peter says, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Whoever believes, whoever believes an impartial statement, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, good or bad, rich or poor, there's no partiality with God. And Cornelius, like we said, he was a righteous man. He fasted, he prayed. He knew about the law. But Peter is speaking here of the necessity of faith, the necessity of faith for the forgiveness of sins. And Cornelius knew uh, and those who were with him, that you know, that he responded to this light. They were given more light, um, and for sure, God here responded to their faith. You know, uh, they brought Peter was brought to speak to Cornelius, and more light was given. Um, but to receive forgiveness for their sins and everlasting life, they must turn to Jesus as their saviour. And Paul says in Acts 13, For through this man, through Jesus alone, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins in Christ alone. In Christ alone. 
So verse 44 we see while Peter was still speaking these words. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter. There was about six of them. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So, up to verse 43, Peter has presented this gospel. The person, the work of Jesus Christ, emphasising you know, his divine anointing, his death, his resurrection, the responsibility a sinner has before God, our accountability in light of hearing these things, in light of hearing the gospel. And notice before Peter has even finished his sermon, before he's even finished, the Holy Spirit interrupts him and he saves them. They receive the Holy Spirit. They were actually baptised with the Holy Spirit as they listened and believed. Peter hadn't even finished his sermon and they got saved. It's funny if you contrast this with when Peter preached to the Jews in Jerusalem at Pentecost and the Jews cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? <laughs> Peter told them that they had to repent. But here, uh, I don't know what happened. Something in their heart, a transaction Something t- took place in their heart. Um, and we can only conclude that Cornelius and his household received the Spirit by the hearing of faith. It says in Galatians 3 2. We received the Spirit by the hearing of faith. And this was a radical work of God, there's no doubt about it. So notice that the Holy Spirit interrupted Peter's sermon and moved on the believing hearts of these Gentiles. They were immediately baptized with the Holy Spirit speaking tongues and glorifying God this was the proof of their salvation the fact they spoke tongues and they glory not that speaking tongues got to be careful with that statement not that speaking tongues is proof of salvation but it was but what happened was a was it was was what we could probably call the baptism of the holy spirit and that happens after a person is saved sometimes at the t- at the moment of salvation but not but not always um, so you could say here this was a, an infallible proof of their salvation. The fact that they spoke tongues and glorified God. They were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. In, in a sense, God now abided with them. They were saved. They were born again. Um, but they were also empowered with spiritual gifts for the purposes of magnifying God. And I think as a witness as well to the Jews. The fact that the Jews didn't think the Holy Spirit could be poured out on the Gentiles. Or... or going back a step further they didn't think the gospel could even be preached to the Gentiles let alone they could receive the Holy Spirit and be saved in the same way they were saved at Pentecost so it's, it's, it's almost like a, a type of Pentecost for the Gentiles what's happening here uh, the floodgates you know were opened um, Peter preached the same good news of Jesus to Gentiles as he had done with Israelites and he preached it without any condescension he preached it without any partiality and the floodgates opened And then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptised who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptised in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So we read here that those of the circumcision, these Jews, they were astonished that the Holy Spirit had been poured out. On the Gentiles, you know, but we read in the next chapter, Peter actually says in chapter 11 of Acts, which we'll get to next week, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could withstand God? 
When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. The salvation really shouldn't, the salvation of the Gentiles, it shouldn't have been as a mysterious uh, thing as it was to these Jewish believers. Um, because the Old Testament prophets spoke of this. Isaiah and Hosea, most notably. Uh, but Jesus himself said, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, which are not of the children of Israel. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock, one flock and one shepherd. So notice that Jesus always considered Gentiles as part of his flock. We know that Jewish, the Jewish nation as a whole um, would reject Jesus as the Messiah and the word would be preached to the Gentiles. But the heart of God is to see all people reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. Yes, there have been different dispensations. There's been a plan of redemption. There's been a pattern of preaching the gospel throughout Israel and then to the Gentile nations. Um, But Jesus also said, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. So once he'd been lifted up, which he spoke of his death, once he'd been crucified and ascended to heaven, he'd draw all people to himself. So in closing, this Roman soldier and his family and friends, they heard the word preached by Peter. They believed, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see, were then baptised. Uh, baptized in water so Peter led by the Holy Spirit he saw, saw no, no reason why, uh, why the Gentiles haven't been baptised by the Holy Spirit should not also receive water baptism and this would also be a sign of genuine acceptance into the community of believers, Jews and Gentiles being baptised into one body and we see at the very end that Peter was invited to stay with them for a few days really I think just to Possibly to disciple them further in the faith, but I think also to cement this new relationship, this fellowship. I think in the spirit of, of authentic fellowship, these Jews and, 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 and Gentiles who were um, at enmity, you know, they were opposites. Jews considered Gentiles to be dogs, and Gentiles didn't like Jews much either. You know, there was an enmity there, there was a, a real, there was, there was the, you know, it was very difficult for these two cultures, these two people groups to get along but they were now brethren you know they, they, they ate with each other they, they hung out as Christians as brothers uh, sisters in Christ you know united by the love of the spirit and, and filled with the peace of God so this really sets the theme for the next few chapters of Acts which we'll get into next week um, and it's really this wonderful fulfillment of the gospel being preached to the Gentiles uh, the Holy Spirit being poured out on those who were once strangers to God's covenant promises uh, and, but like some of us um, have now been brought near by the blood of his cross so let this word encourage us as believers to share the gospel without partiality and always pointing to the lordship of Jesus Christ and his goodness and, and most importantly knowing that the gospel of Jesus Christ his person, his work his death, his resurrection his witness, his testimony is the only thing in believing this account is the only thing that can save a person, can set a person free from sin and judgment. And we really have peace with God. I hope you have peace with God today through the gospel. I hope that you'll get the opportunity, and we must pray we have the opportunity to share this wonderful message, this wonderful account of our Lord and Saviour.